Hello, Sophia here. I've just got a little update for you before we start. We recorded this episode a few months ago, and in it, Adriana shares about her experience of pregnancy. But I'm delighted to say that since then, she has had her baby, a beautiful little girl named Pia. So please join me and Julie in praying for her and for Brian and their two lovely children. All right, with that, here is this week's episode. Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm Sophia. And I'm Adriana. And today we're going to be talking about poverty. This topic was your suggestion, Adriana. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why you chose it? Yeah, I think for me, what really attracted me to this topic is that it's just such a constant discernment in my family and between my husband and me how to live a poverty of spirit and how to practice poverty and how we're being called to that as Americans who are middle class and statistically significantly wealthier than the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And so how do we hold those two things together? Um, How do we develop a poverty of spirit and how do we practice discipleship to Jesus? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this is something that's developed over time with your vocation. Yeah, I think so. I think it's something that constantly presents itself to us, something that we want to get into today, that you've never mastered poverty, Mm -hmm. unless perhaps you've entered into a vocation in which you've renounced all material possessions. Even then, you haven't mastered poverty, but you at least have perhaps an easier time discerning because you don't have any material possessions to discern with. It's a little more clear cut, yeah. Yeah, and you can really enter into the interior life and the poverty of spirit. Mm -hmm. Whereas for us, I think our lives are constantly changing. We're very open to new life right now. I'm pregnant with our second. And we don't feel called to a radical poverty, though we're very moved by those examples, but want to somehow hold those examples as models while also financially saving for our children, paying our house mortgage, et cetera. Right. Right. Because it's definitely an aspect of the Christian calling that takes a distinctive form based on what your state in life is and what your circumstances are, which I think is really important and can sometimes get lost in the depiction of saints or religious who do live a valiant and very visible form of poverty um, and often a very close solidarity with the poorest of the poor, thinking of St. Teresa of Calcutta, for instance. But the truth is we're all called to poverty. You know, I'm a just a graduate student, but I'm, I'm well supported. And, and like you, I grapple with what it means to be someone of privilege and wealth in a place where in Cambridge, there are really high rates of homelessness. So I've really had to confront this question and deal with my own, to be quite honest, with my own hypocrisy after getting to Cambridge and realizing that I keep those experiencing poverty at arm's length. You know, even having volunteered at the Catholic Worker and having seen ostensibly the beauty of solidarity with the homeless and those experiencing poverty it's never enough like you were saying it's it's an ongoing discernment and an ongoing process of learning to see christ present in their midst and not just to get on board with a set of intellectual convictions about justice in society Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think we, you and I were both really fortunate at Notre Dame to be surrounded by a multitude of established communities that helped us access the poor. Yeah. And now we're both in different communities. I'm in Idaho and you're in the UK. And those established communities aren't as readily available for us. And so I think it has required more discernment, but also more realistic view, certainly for me, and engaging with the parish and not relying on the abundance of opportunities made available at a Catholic university. Absolutely. You definitely have to be more proactive in seeking these things out. I think COVID has made it more difficult as well. I volunteered last year with a homelessness project run by the Cambridge churches, but this year they didn't even offer it at all because it was such a high-risk situation, both for the street sleepers, but also for the volunteers. It's left me kind of stranded in this area of my life. Um, I have missed this direct contact with those who are experiencing poverty because there's something really essential and eye-opening about crossing those lines that we so often draw in our day-to-day life unconsciously. And I think back to the gospel for Christ the King, where Jesus says to the sheep and the goats, you know, at the final judgment, that whoever did feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked, they did that for Christ present in the least of his brothers and sisters. And that's a really provocative gospel, you know? It's He is referring to material poverty. I mean, he's referring to spiritual poverty as well, but that's not just a metaphor. And it's challenging, and I fail at it all the time. Um, but it's also something that I see when I do obey it, I receive a great deal of joy and and consolation in return. So I've really missed I've really missed that work this year. Yeah, I agree. COVID has made some of our exterior practices much more difficult. And yet we're still called, given that this is our reality, to develop a poverty of spirit even now. And I think that's where we wanted to focus today, how do we do that if Mm -hmm. our situations don't allow us to volunteer in the same ways we wanted to before or just give of ourselves in terms of service? So why don't we zoom out for a second and sort of address the question of what poverty of spirit is? And it's related to material poverty, but it's, it's not the same thing. So if we could dive into that, I think that's a helpful place to start. How would you define poverty of spirit? For me, I think it's really linked to receptivity and a willingness to receive whatever comes before you with a heart of contentedness. Mother Mary Frances talks about this. I know you and I are both a big fan of her. Of having a heart so free that you can receive whatever God puts in front of you without it disrupting that interior freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a... It's almost like availability to him, an openness and a space to receive him through whatever it is that he puts in your circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And as you've mentioned, I think that comes with detachment Mm -hmm. because you have to be detached from your possessions, particularly your material possessions, but also just everything that's given to you and to realize that it's all given to you as gift and to hold that loosely, even including your own children. And I think that's a really difficult practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's provocative. I mean, I think detachment in the Gospels is constantly presented in terms of vision. 
in terms of watchfulness and anticipation of Christ's coming. So I'm reminded of the parable of the virgins and and all of this that points to the fact that it's preparedness for heaven when we're going to be gazing upon him with no intermediaries. And he says, we're not going to be, to your point about your spouse and your children, we're not going to be given in marriage in heaven. There's just this gaze upon God's face with no intermediaries. And so detachment on earth is a poverty of spirit that enables us to better prepare for his coming by clearing our gaze now, by taking anything away that might occupy a space that should be reserved for God, taking that away so that we can better watch for his coming. Yeah, that was really beautifully said. I think a poverty of spirit also helps cultivate just a natural sense of your dependency on Christ Mm -hmm. because you're so aware of your own emptiness before him. You can just come to him with a real need. And I mean, he says this over and over again in the Gospels, like, I didn't come for the rich. I didn't come for the wealthy. So to be aware of that in yourself, that there is a need in me and it can't be filled by anything else. And I won't try to fill it with anything else. Right. I totally agree that poverty of spirit is linked to material poverty, but they certainly can't be reduced to one another. Because poverty of spirit ultimately centers around the interior life. You know, I was listening to Father Ricardo a little while ago, and he had said something like some of the poorest people he'd ever met were very selfish with their money, and some of the richest people that he'd ever met were very selfless with their money, and vice versa. One doesn't necessarily develop the virtue of poverty of spirit in you. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do think a material poverty can make it easier to develop a poverty of spirit. Right. Christ does say that it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And, you know, there's an element of metaphor to that, but it's also not just a metaphor. Material poverty doesn't entail poverty of spirit, but it does make it easier. I've always been struck by that passage because the disciples respond with this disbelief, like, Lord, who can be saved? And these are really poor fishermen from Galilee. Like, upon hearing that, if I were a poor fisherman from Galilee, I'd be like, ah, thank God. Like, (laughs) they weren't rich, right? But his words clearly struck something in them. They realized that they were rich in some sense, that they did have these attachments, that they were in need of a conversion of heart by which they opened up room to value and worship God above anything else, above their security, above their comfort, above even above their families and the good gifts that God had given them. So they may have been materially poor, but there was this still this sense that God's grace must act in you in order to free you from your attachments. Um, It doesn't come automatically to anyone. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So another thing we wanted to talk about on this episode was how to cultivate poverty, um, really practically what it looks like to be detached from your finances. And I have to say, I'm really bad at this one. Um, I usually just end up in a kind of scrupulosity, if I'm honest. But I am doing my best to grow in freedom, to grow in my ability to look at Christ instead of the finances themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. I recently moved into a new place here in Cambridge that has a chapel with a tabernacle in it, and it's wonderful. I'm one of the few people here who's Catholic at the moment, and so not many people use the oratory where the tabernacle is. You know, it's not 
beautiful. It's not decorated. It's just this very simple little corner room with a tiny gold box. And But I've started buying flowers to put in front of the tabernacle, not because anyone's going to see it, but because for me, this is an act of poverty. It corrects against my resistance to spend my money on celebration and celebration of love and most importantly, celebration of God. So for me, this this little act of getting a bouquet of flowers reminds me that what I have been given is for the glory and worship of God. And that involves service to my brothers and sisters who are in need, but it also involves acts of love directly to him. You know, the church has done a good job of this over the centuries. I'm just thinking of all of the opulent cathedrals throughout Europe and the precious metals that we use in the vessels of the altar. The church has done its best to obey Christ's command to celebrate the bridegroom when he is with us. Yeah, that's really beautiful and really beautiful for sharing about the flowers. It just makes me think of how unique of a calling this is for everyone and dependent upon your own situation and your own discernment. And in terms of what isn't a poverty of spirit, I think it can be really easy to look around and either judge other people or judge yourself based on what other people are doing over harshly, I suppose, Mm -hmm. and misinterpret poverty of spirit with just acts and what you're doing to show that you're developing this spirit. But rather, like you're talking about with the flowers, nobody's even going to see those. And... I know that really strikes me in my own situation because I'm constantly even just reminded and maybe even judging based on like my past self that was single and had just so much more availability to the world than I do now as a pregnant mom of a toddler. I'm just not able to give myself to ministries that I really love and cherish in the same ways that I've wanted to and how to turn that from kind of an attitude of self-pity or questioning like how can I how am I called to serve God and just look at what God's giving me right now you know I do have a very dependent person who's 18 months old and needs me for everything and then also another baby that's dependent upon my body for his or her birth into the world yeah I think That's a beautiful example that gets at the point of the givenness of poverty of spirit. The circumstances in which we are to practice it are given to us. They're not ones that we invent or fabricate. Um, And they can be hidden and humble. But I'm reminded of this quote from Father Giussani. He says, Christian renunciation, so he's talking about poverty and detachment. Christian renunciation is not the object of a choice, the result of our choice. The saint, in the truest sense, does not renounce something for Christ, but desires Christ, desires the event of Christ in such a way that his life is permeated by Christ, even visually, even as a form. Renunciation takes on a visible form. So I think that quote really captures the fact that the visible form of your poverty, of your desiring Christ, is your motherhood. Yeah, and it also really captures that the point is love. It isn't a hatred of material possessions in and of themselves. It's just such a deep love mm-hmm. and desire to worship Jesus that everything else loses its importance or its importance becomes so relativized against Jesus. But it absolutely isn't Gnostic. Yeah. Right. Even in the saints who gave up everything 
you know, from the outside, it might look like someone who's rejecting the goodness of the world. Um, if we think of St. Francis, who literally strips off all of his clothes and renounces all of his goods and lives in this extreme, austere poverty. But even St. Francis, like, look at his delight in creation in his canticle. You know, it's definitely not driven by hatred or suspicion of the material gifts that the Lord gives. It's out of a superabundance of love for Christ who was poor and a desire to be totally free to love him fully. I think it's also St. Francis who calls poverty lady poverty. It's his betrothed. It's his loved one. Through poverty, we're actually united to Christ as the spouse of our hearts. And so practicing poverty of spirit is unburdening ourselves to receive him more fully. Yeah, and I think exactly what you're saying, a true poverty of spirit allows you to receive material possessions as a gift and with so much more joy than you would have otherwise. I think of one of our favorite people, Abbot Jeremy, and he's a Benedictine monk and never leaves really the confines of his monastery. And we went to go visit him the other week and he really likes good wine and we brought him a bottle of good wine and he just received it with such delight. It was such a simple thing for us to do, but it just to see his face light up at the receipt of this gift and also to appreciate, I'm moved by him, that he's like developed a palate for fine wine in this very humble life of his. Mm-hmm. And I think it speaks to an ability to receive everything you do receive with just an incredible amount of joy. It's not an unwillingness to receive the finer pleasures of life. That's beautiful. Abba Jeremy, he strikes me as childlike, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really powerful way to cultivate poverty of spirit, to practice gratitude, to praise God for the gifts that he's given you so that they lead us to God instead of coming in the way. Because I think one of the things that drives resistance to poverty and resistance to poverty of spirit is fear of loss and fear of failure. And one of the most powerful ways to counteract that is by practicing gratitude. Yeah, and I think really just praying for the grace if that doesn't come naturally. I mean, in becoming a mother, I find myself often praying at Mass for the grace to hold my children loosely Mm. and recognize them as children of God first that are given to Brian and me, in a sense, through this adoption that we share in and participate in. And that's not easy even just to practice spiritually. I don't think Jesus has asked this of me practically quite yet. Mm -hmm. I've never thought about that in the context of motherhood before, but you're so right. I mean, the family is the domestic church precisely because you're forming them for heaven and your vocation is to bring them there and not to keep them for yourself or to achieve the plans that you might rightfully want for them. Um, Yeah, that's really provocative. Yeah, and I know we talk about Mary a lot because she's the exemplar of all virtues, but particularly poverty of spirit. And I have always been struck, and even more so as a mother, that we celebrate as a joyful mystery the presentation of Jesus when Mary's heart is pierced with a sword and she's foretold of Jesus' death as an infant. Yeah. Whenever I'm praying with that mystery, I find it a little difficult to pray with it joyfully. So it's like an asking for that grace that isn't quite manifest in me yet because I can't imagine that total surrender of of my own son quite now. 
And yet Mary answered all of that with this initial yes and continued to just say yes. And that is shocking to me. Yeah, thank God she can intercede for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that spiritual friends like Mary, but also friends on earth have really been instrumental in teaching me poverty of spirit, both in modeling for me what it looks like to engage in solidarity with the poor, um, be responsible with your finances without being scrupulous, but also just in loving me first for my destiny and then for who I could be for them. This is Father Giussani's definition of friendship. A true friendship is loving the destiny of the other person. And I think that this is so conducive to poverty of spirit because when you see yourself in the gaze of another as valuable for who you are in Christ Jesus and your destiny in him, it enables you to sort of open your grasp to go back to the image that you were using from before to receive yourself from another in this way instead of grasping what you might want for yourself or how you might see yourself. So my friendships have been really important for teaching me poverty of spirit. Yeah, I totally agree with you, especially when we fail. Those are really poignant opportunities Mm -hmm. to come to another person in forgiveness and in in asking for forgiveness. And it's a willingness to, to empty yourself to the other person. No one more than with Christ himself. I mean, if we're talking about tools for cultivating poverty of spirit, I think contemplative prayer, but especially Eucharistic adoration, I would put that as number one. I've always been moved by a line. Mother Teresa's letter to her sister is about the thirst of Jesus. And I would really recommend everyone go read that. But there's this one line in it where she says, speaking of her sister's ministry to the poorest of the poor, she says, until you can hear Jesus in the silence of your own heart, you will not be able to hear him saying, I thirst in the hearts of the poor. She draws this really powerful line from the intimacy of your heart in relationship with Christ to your capacity to see him in those who are suffering and downtrodden and marginalized. So I think if any kind of poverty, material or spiritual, is going to be sustainable and fruitful, it has to be rooted in this relationship with Christ. And for me, the place that that gets strengthened and renewed is in Eucharistic adoration. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you that adoration is such a powerful opportunity to reorient yourself before Jesus and then therefore recognize your own emptiness. Um, I also obviously think of the sacraments, particularly the practice of confession. It strikes me often that it's the only place where we can come and objectively receive forgiveness. I mean, who else can say you are forgiven for this sin? Mm. At best, outside in the world, we receive, I forgive you from those we've hurt, but they can't offer the absolution that our heart needs. Right, yeah. I think the practice of confession, the regular habit of it, just helps develop in you a recognition of your own moral weaknesses and failures so that that can clear out a space in your own heart. Mm -hmm. And the simplicity to know that the answer comes from the church, you know? Yeah, exactly. And just a real dependency on on Jesus for that forgiveness. It can be really easy to self-justify. I think we see that in the culture at large, even more obscured than like trying to forgive oneself to now just there's nothing to forgive. You know, I don't need to have regrets, no regrets about anything. Because if you acknowledge regret, then you have to acknowledge failure and 
forgiveness and the question of a forgiver. Mm-hmm. I see that rationalization in my own life when it comes to charitable giving. For a long time, I've been tempted to not give my money to places where I'm not certain it's going to actually be effective at alleviating poverty. And I think this is stems from my personal psychological obsession with efficiency. But really what it does is places limits on the love that I'm willing to show others who are suffering, um, that I'm only willing to provide assistance and give of my resources if I'm sure that the person is going to use it well, or if I'm sure it's not going to overhead costs of this organization or whatever it is. Um, and so for me, one thing that I've tried to do last year for Lent, and I've been trying to keep it up, is to always give when it is asked of me, no matter what circumstances it seems like this person is facing or how it seems like they're going to use the money. If there's a person who asks me for it, I try to give. And it's been really humbling to go back to your point about rationalization because I realize how many times I have this narrative in my head that excuses me before I've even shown the hardness of heart that I'm going to show. So openness to charitable giving, I think, has been a humbling instrument for teaching me a little more poverty of spirit. Yeah, that reminds me of a Dorothy Day quote that always penetrates my heart. It's just, the gospel takes away our right forever to discriminate between the deserving and undeserving poor. Yes. Yes. I once heard a sister say along the same lines, something like, just think of how many times you've misused gifts that the Lord Jesus has given you. I was like, (laughs) oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, we cannot discriminate between the deserving and undeserving poor because I'm undeserving poor. I'm undeserving. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that really gets to the heart of it. Yeah, I think there's an element of control where you want to control how your money's being used and make sure it's being used well. But there's also a good discernment of not being foolish or ensuring your money is used for the good mm-hmm. rather than, you know, giving to the Girl Scouts without doing homework and learning that they also support Planned Parenthood. So we want to be cooperators for the good. But also, I think probably in general, there's just too much resistance towards charitable work and charitable gifting in our society that we can almost like, at least in our Western society, err on more charitable giving than less And I think that's fairly obvious. And that's something my husband and I talk about really often. I think the same is true of tithing, especially in times of COVID when churches' doors are shut and they're not receiving the weekly collections that they used to. I think a lot of churches are at risk of going under. And I mean, it's a precept of the church, right? We would all benefit from learning the kind of availability that tithing teaches us. This is another thing that I love about the charism of Father Giussani is one of the practices of the movement is called the common fund and basically everyone who goes to the weekly school of community the moment of catechesis together is invited to make a regular contribution to a central pot of money that's then used for dinners together or events or sending folks on vacation who otherwise couldn't afford it and there's no specified amount that you have to contribute there's no one following up to make sure you do it every week we often forget But it's this regular gesture that testifies to the fact that not only is your money not for you, you belong to this community. Um, And I think the same is true for tithing, to remind us that even in a church so broken and roiled by scandal and divided, 
It's a body to which we belong and who has Christ at its head. And our finances play a part in that. Yeah, I think even in church and with the collection basket and how most churches, at least in the United States, have moved to offer an online format for giving that I really appreciate. But also at the same time, I heard someone else say that they appreciate giving in the collection basket every Sunday because of that practice of just handing over money and being aware of it in a way that even for me is lost electronically. Mm-hmm. I think partially because my husband manages more of the finances that I'm just much less aware when electronic transactions are occurring. And I'm much less able to benefit spiritually from that. Absolutely. In the same way that giving money online is different from engaging with people who might be living in your local homeless shelter or attending your local soup kitchen. I have kind of a different route for cultivating poverty of spirit, which is actually feasting and celebration. So it might seem obvious, like one way to cultivate poverty of spirit is this renunciation, these ascetic practices of giving up something that you love or habitually use. But I think actually feasting and celebration is another way to cultivate poverty of spirit because coming together with people that you love and sacrificing your time and your money and your attention to rejoice in something, whether it's an event that happened in the family or a feast of the church, but to rejoice in love, ultimately to rejoice in Christ. This is what our resources are for. So I think this is another another maybe overlooked way to cultivate spiritual poverty. Yeah, that's really beautiful and strikes me as very true as something that would have been naturally developed in you because your family has such a charism for hospitality. And, you know, I have benefited from that greatly. My mother crushes it. Yeah. (laughs) And my husband and I really try to embrace that charism at home, too. Not quite at the Susan Kratza level, but not quite yet. (laughs) But, yeah, I can see how how that's developed in you and just so how hospitality it demands of you and you know it's much easier to practice a more insular lifestyle Mm -hmm. Um, so what are some other ways that you cultivate poverty of spirit right now and I guess what are some ways that you thought maybe you would want to cultivate a poverty of spirit that haven't made themselves manifest and how have you dealt with that That's a good question. And I think the biggest one for me now is the fact that I live alone. I think living with others is a really powerful way to cultivate poverty of spirit because your time is not your own when you live in a family. You can't necessarily sleep when you want to. You can't eat when you want to. You have to attend to the nine-year-old who stubs her toe or the high schooler who needs tutoring in chemistry. Um, And there's a certain poverty of spirit that comes with that, with obedience to the fact that others place demands on you and it's actually for your good and your fulfillment as well to say yes to them and to not cling to your view of what your day was going to look like. It's a constant invitation to mortification, but a really beautiful one. And one that I miss while I'm here in Cambridge because I live with others, but we don't live together. Mm -hmm. So I'm struggling with how it's possible for me to not become insular and not to become hardened in my routines that I love and that are good and that enable me to do the work of the PhD and the work that God has prepared for me here. But I don't ever want them to make me start to see others as an obstacle to what my day should be instead of viewing them as 
the means through which the mystery enters into my life. Yeah, and it strikes me too that you don't want to come to a place where you see your own studies as an obstacle to encountering Christ. Yeah, definitely not. And I hear that a lot, and I think I've had that own fear, just as also having been a student for a very long time, that it'll be afterwards that you see the fruits of all this work. And I don't think that's true at all. Christ is trying to meet us in our studies, in our professors, in our fellow peers. Yeah, I don't think I could have gotten through college with that mentality. I think it would have torn me down. (laughs) Yeah. In my family, we've really had to reorient our expectations just because, like I said, having a toddler. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. But also, I stay at home with him and we don't have regular care for him. Partially because of the pandemic, we wouldn't have a babysitter right now. But we also just moved here fairly recently and we just don't have one. So there isn't anyone for us to regularly rely on so that I can go volunteer somewhere. And in thinking about developing a poverty of spirit, I always kind of naturally think about how my practicing corporal works of mercy. And at the start, I guess I was a little sad at contemplating this because I felt like I didn't really have any practical activities that I was doing. And then it, it occurred to me through a friend that, you know, I'm feeding and caring for Damien and I'm clothing the naked boy in front of me. And then also the corporal work of mercy that's offered to me in pregnancy and how my body's being changed. And I totally agree with what you're saying that that it kind of forces upon you a poverty of spirit. But I also want to nuance that it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. Like we can choose to or to not cooperate with the realities that are before us. And I do see myself every day choosing and not choosing a self-emptying before Damien and before my vocation as a mother. And before my own desires to be out there doing an active ministry where I'm seen and feeling a sense of fulfillment, that really isn't being asked of me right now. I think so for us as a family, we've decided to take more seriously fasting as a way to develop a poverty of spirit. A lot of people practice regular fasting, but I don't, I think in general, it isn't as well practiced in lay life anymore. And I think it's a real missed opportunity for families in the church to still engage in liturgical prayer um, in their own state, you know, when they're not necessarily able to volunteer at St. Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And Given that the Lord tells us that there are certain demons that can only come out through prayer and fasting, it's a really powerful way to beg for his grace and mercy in all of the places of our broken world that need his healing. Um, So a real work of mercy in and of itself when we use it properly, when it's ordered to him. So I guess as we're reaching the end of the episode here, maybe this could be the proposal that we have for our listeners. Find a place in your week this coming week where you can fast, whether it's extending your fast before the Eucharist to a couple more hours or giving up meat on Friday, or do you have another suggestion of something our listeners could could fast from to cultivate a poverty of spirit? Yeah, I think your cell phone, social media for a day, even, you know, if you're living alone like you, I don't quite have this opportunity, but fasting from speaking for the morning or the afternoon and just trying to spend that time in silence. We want to be careful never to suggest extreme forms of fasting. That would be something that you should discern 
with a spiritual director, you know, in person. But yeah, we also give up meat on Fridays and it, it doesn't require us usually to go hungry. And it's something that I can easily do while also seven and a half months pregnant. Right. In the circumstances that we've got, that's always the, always the criterion for his will, isn't it? Well, I think this has been a beautiful episode. I think poverty of spirit is an essential aspect of the pilgrim soul. You know, a pilgrim is one who has to walk a long way to reach her intended destination. And so it's good to be unburdened and it's good to be lighter. And poverty of spirit, I think, frees us from the weights that we can accumulate over time and frees us so that we can run the race, like Paul says, run the race towards Christ, the one the one who we love. Yeah, well said, Sophia. Do we have anything else for our listeners? Yeah, even though we like to normally offer a more secular form of either literature or entertainment, I would recommend Dorothy Day's autobiography, The Long Loneliness, because I, I think she lived out a radical poverty that we should all be willing to look at and contemplate, even if we ourselves aren't called to that exact form. And we never are called to the exact form as another person. But she's a really beautiful model and a provocative witness for developing poverty and renewing a sense of detachment in your own life. Wonderful. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions, Sophie? I think I'd recommend the movie Life is Beautiful. And a number of listeners will know that this is a favorite of mine. Um, But I think the protagonist really exemplifies poverty of spirit in accepting the circumstances that he's been given, seeking a presence, even in the midst of what is objectively enormous suffering and deep spiritual and physical trials. So I think it's hard to come away from that movie with anything but a tremendous zeal for living the same way in the circumstances that you have in front of you. Yeah, that's a great recommendation and also one of my favorite movies. So we really recommend it if you haven't seen it. I'm pretty sure it's available on either Amazon Prime or Netflix. I think it is streaming. Yeah. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And as always, we welcome all feedback. Um, Feel free to reach us by email or also on our Instagram. No of our prayers for you. Thanks for joining us and hope to see you again soon on Pilgrim Soul. Pilgrim Soul.